It's a new year in the same CONCACAF. Welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. Welcome to the World of Contracaf podcast. I'm Eric Schmitz. I'm Jonathan Slate. And I am Donald Wine. And it's the year 2022, and we are here to talk about Contracaf. You guys have a good holidays? Yeah, it was good. Um, you know, spent some time with family. I was sick. So, but other than that, it was good. Family, friends, football. We had a lot of, <laughs> you know, a lot of the Fs during the holidays, but it was great. Most exciting thing about the holidays is that it's kind of over. We can get back to the Concacaf. <laughs> so we've got it's a, a World we- Cup year. Like let, let's also 2022. Let's not forget it is a World Cup year. It is a Concacaf Nations League year. Woo! It is the time, um, and it is also a World Cup qualifying month. It's literally the most important year of our lives. <laughs> I just want to note, you guys can't see this if you are listening, but I have my Concacaf Nations League hoodie on right now as we're recording. So, like, the spirit is alive and well for us here at the World of Concacaf. We've got a really exciting show today, as you could att- can tell from the title of the podcast that you clicked on and are listening to. Uh, most importantly, we're talking about. Uh, St. Martin, you know, another CONCACAF constituent nation, but, but headline, we're going to be joined later by Grant Wall. Everyone knows who Grant Wall is. We're really excited to have him. We're really excited to talk about some fun, fun CONCACAF stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Grant's a great, great person, great friend. If you've read any of his stuff, basically, if you've watched soccer for the last, what, three decades, you've read (laughs) some of Grant Wall's stuff, uh, but he's had in-depth knowledge of CONCACAF, so I can't wait to talk to him about it because I've seen some of the places he's been. We've seen each other at some of these games. He's got some war stories and I hope we can bring some out. For sure. So let's just get right to it. CONCACAF Newswire, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, First thing we want to get to, uh, Suriname, men's national team, hired Stanley Menzo to be their new manager. Uh, Menzo previously managed Aruba. Um, Famous, famous Suriname native um played for Ajax for a while um great long soccer career and he is the new man in charge of Suriname as they take as they head into a really important year Suriname headed up to League A in CONCACAF Nations League the most important prestigious tournament on the face of the planet uh so very very good step for the program which looks to reach new heights in 2022 uh Donald what's going on down in El Salvador Well, El Salvador is actually thinking towards the future as well, but they're thinking towards a a very, very nice future. They recently unveiled plans uh, for a new stadium, a new national stadium, modern, that would have a 50,000 seat capacity. It's part of a collaboration with China uh, and would be built in Santa Tecla, which is kind of on the outskirts of San Salvador, but just a few minutes from where Estadio Cuscatlan is right now. So the stadium would reside on the current grounds of a Salvadorian military school, which would be moved. This project also involves uh, 
it's basically they're basically going to redo this complex at government buildings, housing, and other things to this complex. The idea behind this is they want to attract concerts, maybe even a World Cup one day, according to the announcement. I mean, who knows yeah. what that entails? But honestly, if Central America were to kind of band together to have some sort of major tournament, whether it be the Gold Cup, Nations League final, this is what this new national stadium is hoping to attract. And I think it looks phenomenal. If you if you haven't seen it, we'll, we'll find – I think you've, we've posted a link on it, but the actual renderings look phenomenal. But I – warn everybody that renderings aren't the official thing so we can take it and marvel at it but let's hope it's part uh, of the nation you know just kind of saying let's be a force in CONCACAF it's hitching itself to Bitcoin as legal tender that's what uh, San Salvador uh, has been or at least El Salvador has been using and they are using that to attract foreign investment this is where the stadium project came about so no word on the timetable for when it will actually be built but it's definitely something that I know we're interested in visiting once it is complete. Yeah, I mean, i interested in, in going. I unfortunately did not get to go to uh, Estadio Cuscatlan last time. Um, I guess trying to not dive into the crypto of it all, but... Um, a little tenuous. You, you, ha- you have... There's just... There's some sketchy links here, not just with, with crypto, but with, um, uh, you know, some of China's involvement. We've seen them. Uh, they've done this with the Costa Rican stadium. They've done this in Africa um, as they uh, look to expand their influence. And as all great it is, is to have a new stadium, it is maybe not the maybe not with the best intentions. Let's just put it that way. Well, in great intentions, if you're El Salvador, you're getting this nice new stadium. I mean, Donald can attest to this. Like, Cuscalon, it's not necessarily the top of the line stuff. When you have trees growing out of the side of your suite level or press box, whatever it is, uh, you might need a little bit of an upgrade, you know, just, you know, slight renovation. But go ahead, Dom. I think take this as good or bad, but the way the stadium would be set up if completed, fireworks ain't being shot off from outside the stadium into the stadium. So again, that could be viewed as a good thing or a bad thing, but it is something that probably would not happen in this new stadium. I was going to say, will ladders be involved, be, be allowed in? <laughs> I mean, great question. It all depends on who's working the door. But, you know, just in the sense of the CONCACAFness of it, I think it really is, it looks like it'll be a downgrade just like for the spirit of what we're, what we're about here. Like, because Scotland is like, a cathedral of Central American soccer. And like, you can't replicate those vibes. You can build the nicest place in the world, but it ain't going to have those vibes. And I guess uh, we'll have to see what the new place ends up looking like and when they can get that completed. But great for the El Salvador program to have a nice new facility to work with. And an increase in capacity from 34,000 to 50,000. As as we can attest to Eric, finger quote 34,000. Well, it does hold 34,000. They just said it was going to be half capacity and it was like 33,900. That's half. But I will say there was at least 15, 16,000 people outside the stadium that couldn't get in. So maybe this helps increase the capacity. More fans makes hopefully for, in their eyes, hopefully for a bigger and better fortress. For sure. All right. So that's what's going on in El Salvador. Uh, Jonathan, What's going on in Jamaica? So 
it looks like so we've seen with Jamaica, we've seen a lot of uh, you know, the targeting dual nationals. We saw Mikel Antonio finally make his debut for Jamaica. But most recently, it looks like Damari Gray is close to joining the reggae boys. He is a winger at Everton, 25 years old. Um, he does have Jamaican heritage and he's been approached several different times. He's played for the England U21 team and he has around like 21 caps. Um, so the real question here is, you know, we've seen them go after the guys like Andre Gray, Mikel Antonio, uh, Liam Moore, uh, and even with both uh, Damari Gray and then potentially Mason Holgate, we see them going after some younger guys. So Damari Gray is only 25, so maybe looking to build more for the future rather than what we thought was like a win right now thing. But uh, what are your guys' thoughts? I mean – there's six games left in qualifying. Like there's still time for them to do some work, but yeah, getting them into the program, especially at a younger age. Uh, I mean, it just raises the level. It gives you depth because you would assume that at some point it's not going to be hard to bring your talent back for these international breaks. Once we get past this whole pandemic thing that I don't know if you heard about, um, but yeah, there's gold cups ahead and Jamaica's had some really good gold cups lately. Um, there's of course CONCACAF Nations League. Like there are reasons Jamaica it should be continuing to press for being more competitive. Not to mention that 2026 World Cup with an expanded field. I mean, look, we can talk about the stuff down the road, but what this shows me and, and what we already knew is crunch time for Jamaica. Jamaica is starting to enter desperation mode. They want to bring in all the stops, everybody who they could possibly use to help them get into that top four and get into the world cup or at least into the playoff. And they think Demar gray is one of those guys that can help. That's why he, that's why they're going after him. And that's why he's considering it because he can be, an, he can be an impact player for that team right now. Forget all the gold cups and, and you know, all the important stuff like nations league down the road, they're looking to win now because they need to win now. And I mean, they're four, they're also, they're four, uh, last thing before we move on, but they're four years out from an expanded world cup in CONCACAF and you have guys like, I mean, they've already secured Leon Bailey at 24, uh, Damari Grace, 25. Uh, if they get, got Mason Holgate, he's also 25, but you're looking at um, three premier league, you know, stalwarts who will be coming into really the prime of their career at 29 yeah. coming into and that. It, World Cup. And it's kind of a transition phase for Jamaica as well. Back in December, of course, they uh, fired Theodore Whitmore, their manager, um, so Paul Hall is the current head coach of the national team is clearly looking to improve the squad going forward outside of like the national team stuff, CONCACAF talking about improving squads. A lot of teams around the world are trying to improve their squads with some CONCACAF top level elite talent. Um, most notably, I think just for the region, major league soccer, one of the biggest leagues in the region, uh, just saw a record transfer. Um, Ricardo Pepe of the U.S. national team uh, moving from FC Dallas to Augsburg in the Bundesliga for an MLS record fee for a homegrown player. Um, gentlemen, like Jonathan, I don't know if you want to run through some of the other transfers that are going on, but CONCACAF is on the ups right now. Yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, one of the best times to be a CONCACAF player. I mean, talking about just outside of Pepe, we saw Daryl DK make the move from 
MLS to West Brom for an eight and a half million fee. Uh, Richie Larea, um, the Canadian international, making a move from Toronto FC to Nottingham Forest. Um, and then Alistair Johnson, you know, with the largest transfer move ever for a fullback um, within MLS going from, from Nashville to, to Montreal. And it's just interesting. I mean, not just interesting. I think it's just it shows the where the region is right now um, and the level of talent that is finally being recognized um, with a lot of these guys. And the thing about, uh, you know, all of these is a lot of these are going for big dollars and not just on one end. It's on both ends. Ricardo Pepe's transfer, for example, you mentioned it was an MLS record for a homegrown player. It also shattered Augsburg's club record. It more than almost doubled the it, with all the add-ons and bonuses, it could more than double their previous club record uh, for a transfer of any kind. So big moves for some of these guys and going what looks to be to big time teams and also having opportunities to play, which I think is the most important thing. Absolutely. It's big, uh, big opportunities for some young players, young talent, and their success is only going to create more opportunities for CONCACAF talent around the world. Uh, so that's going to wrap up our Newswire. Uh, we've got a Jack Warner update. Um, this is where, like, the lights go off and everything like that. Jack Warner update. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of a sad one, not specifically about Jack. Um, Jack's nemesis, one of his greatest nemesis um, in the world, uh, BBC reporter Andrew Jennings spent many, many years as an investigative journalist um, with the BBC, uh, passed away recently at the age of 78. Jack and Andrew did not get along very well. Andrew had, uh, Andrew Jennings uh, spent a lot of years covering corruption in sports. He started with uh, Olympic coverage. Uh, then he put out a few books, um, just some of the titles, Foul, The Secret World of FIFA, Bribes, Vote Rigging, and Ticket Scandals. That was a 2006 book. 2014 book, Omerta, Set Bladders, FIFA Organized Crime Family. And then his 2015 book, The Dirty Game, Uncovering the Scandal at FIFA. So Andrew Jennings would show up at these FIFA executive um, meetings, conferences, and he'd be doorstepping on them. Like he would meet just show up at their hotel and start talking to him. He'd bring a camera. It's almost like the TMZ type thing. Just asking questions. Like, did you take money? Did you take bribes? Things of that nature. And a lot of his reporting was some of the basis for the FIFA scandals of the 2010s. Um, and he, some of his reporting was part of the downfall of Jack Warner. Uh, I do want to reference the one famous clip of Andrew Jennings at the at Zurich Airport um, going up to Jack, trying to get some information out of him. And Jack Warner says to him, if I could have spit on you, I would have spat on you. Where Andrew replies, why would you spit on me? And Jack says back to him, because you're garbage. <laughs> Which was followed moments later by Andrew Jennings asking him, how much money did you make selling World Cup tickets this year? Where Jack replied, ask your mother. So sad for all of us in the PR world, 
um, Satrolis and Concap. Andrew Jennings did some wonderful things for us. Uh, Donald, your thoughts? Yeah, one time for Andrew Jennings, because I know he would appreciate this. Rest in peace to one of the great journalists in CONCACAF. Jack Warner sucks. All right, so we will be back momentarily with this week's CONCACAF Laser Focus, where we're heading to St. Martin. Concaf laser focus time. This time we are heading to St. Martin. Donald, wait, which St. Martin? Which St. Martin are we doing? We're doing the Dutch side. I mean, for me, it's the best side. I only say this because I haven't been to the French side, but shout out to the Dutch side. So we're going to do that this time. Let, let's, like let's, let, yeah, let's, let's take a step back and let's first just, I mean, maybe you're going to, as we talk about country history, let's, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the um, Dutch Antilles in this area, um, what makes this island special? It's Dutch. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> see, for me, like, I know you guys are going to talk about the history and the culture, because correct me if I'm wrong, but you've both been there. Yes, yes. And I've actually been, I've been to both sides of the island. Okay. See, to me, as the outsider, this seems like if gold jacket, green jacket were an island. <laughs> But tell me about this place. Like, it sounds really cool. Like, what, what's the background here? So, so first off, it is the smallest island. It's the smallest landmass in the world that uh, contains two separate uh, entities. Okay. Yes. Very, very tiny island. Um, so let's talk about the Dutch St. Martin. Now, it is on the, again, the Dutch island or Dutch side of the island of St. Martin, which is the, it's the southern 40% of the island. It's not split in half. The northern side is the French side. Uh, it used to be a part of the Netherlands Antilles, but is now a sovereign state of the Netherlands. So we're going to start by, because this whole island is kind of linked in how it became split. So let's talk about that for a second. It was named for St. Martin of Tours by Christopher Columbus in 1493, because like everything else in the Caribbean, they think he discovered it first. But like all islands in the Caribbean, it had already been inhabited by natives for centuries beyond that. Some say that St. Martin was inhabited as far back as like the 6th century BC. So while Columbus discovered it for the Spanish, it had already been discovered by natives and inhabited for a long time. The French and the Dutch were also interested in the island. And as they tried to establish colonies on the island, all three of these countries tried to get in on this action. But what they introduced first off before anything else, unfortunately, was disease. And because of that, the native population dwindled considerably because they did not have immunity to the diseases that these Europeans were bringing over. So it led to a lot of fighting between the French, Dutch, and Spanish to figure out who was going to take this island. Finally, lines were drawn where the St. Martin Island was divided between the French and the Dutch and the Spain was basically completely out. St. Martin became the Southern side, the, the, uh, the Southern side, uh, St. Martin is the Dutch side. The French side became the North side. The capital oh, is Philipsburg. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. I just need media clarify this for me. So mm-hmm. the island is St. Martin. The top half of the island is St. Martin, but in French. And the bottom half of the island is St. Martin, but in Dutch. That's correct. 
St. Martin. Okay, we're uh, we're me St. Martin in Dutch. No no name changes here. Just a slight spelling variation, but you actually pronounce it the same way. I'll explain why in just a second. The capital, Phillipsburg, total population 41,000 people. Beautiful, beautiful countryside. Unfortunately, a lot of its infrastructure was damaged or destroyed back in 2017 by Hurricane Irma. They've rebuilt a lot of the telecommunications and the electrical grid, but for a while there, it was it really caused a lot of damage to the point where it started to, it was basically like starting over for the people that were there. Now, you talk about the island of St. Martin. I know we're going to talk about the French part later, but there is a movement of late to unify the island as one nation state. It would be called St. Martin. There would be a flag. There, in fact, is a flag for this unifying movement. And so it'll be interesting to see if that movement builds some momentum in the coming years. Now, the one thing about St. Martin, the Dutch side, that's very interesting is that when you go to the island, there isn't a lot of things that are Dutch. In fact, most people there speak English because the main thing is tourism. But here's the thing, and we'll get into some of this. There's a lot of North American, there's a lot of African European influences, but only 4.2% of the population speaks Dutch, whereas like 60-75% of the island can speak English either as their first or second language. Spanish and Creole and French are more widely spoken on the island of the southern part of the island than Dutch is. So that's really where even though the Dutch kind of, you know, run it and it's and it's their sovereign state, there's not a lot of Dutch influence in the culture of St. Martin. Now, you guys have both been there. What tell me about your experiences there? What's it like down there? So I've so I've been to both sides of the island. Um, went there on on a cruise. We spent most of our time on the the French side, uh, but we did cross over um, onto the other side of the island. So over over to the Dutch side. Um, it's a beautiful island. Uh, you know, great beaches, great culture. Um, they have the largest, and specifically on the Dutch side. So they have a big carnival that happens every single year. Um, you know, happens same time Mardi Gras does. The, the Dutch side definitely has the larger uh, celebration uh, between the two islands. Um, you know, one of the most famous things there is, uh, and I didn't get to go there when I when we went over there, is Maho Beach. So if you've seen, I, I'm sure everyone has seen those pictures of people being on a oh, beach, yeah. and you've seen those um, airliners landing, um, and it looks like they are, basically going to touch the beach so that's maho beach um on the dutch side and i mean these these planes get so close i mean it's less than a hundred feet um and it's i mean it's it's less than that it's It's less than that i mean there's pictures where you could literally it feels like someone could take a basketball and dunk it on the wheels on the landing gear of a plane as it's landing yeah, I mean, I mean, wow. 747s and the big Airbus 340s. I mean, it is like large planes are landing here. Um, they have done a lot to uh, if planes are taking off from runway 10, they've they've had to put up some new fences because people were getting too close to the other one. So uh, someone actually died in 2017 um, because they got blown back um, from from the engines and, you know, hit their head and died from injuries there but um it's it's a famous spot and it's a place that the next time i make to saint martin want to make sure that i i get to see 
Yeah. Same. And for me, I've been to the, I haven't been to the French side, but I've been to the Dutch side about four or five times also via cruises. I will say a lot of, a lot of our uh, listeners are, are like to drink uh, from time to time. We, oh, yeah. we like to imbibe from time to time. The main liqueur on the island, guava berry, which is very interesting because it's based on a berry that is indigenous to the island. It ter- is basically like a sweet kind of drink but it has an interesting taste. It's unique. It's unlike anything that you will taste the Caribbean. It's not like, it's not like blue Curacao, it, but it's a little bit more of a, of a classic drink. You could obviously use it to make cocktails or you could drink it straight with ice, whatever. But it is something that when you go, you definitely have to try it. I used to have a bottle and I used to kind of use it to throw into some like tropical rum punches, but it is alcoholic in its own way. But it's one of the things that when you go to St. Martin and you're going to try the local drink, it will definitely have guava berry. Even non-alcoholic drinks are made with guava berry because it is such a big part of the food and just a part of, of the drinking scene on the island. Now, that sounds incredible. Um, do you have any food? What, what's their food situation look like? Their food is like West Indian. I mean, it's not, again, not a lot of Dutch influence in the food, not a lot of Dutch influence in, in just the, the culture, if you will. I mean, obviously some of the architecture has, you, you can see some French influence. You can see some Dutch influence. You can see some Spanish influence, but the food is very West Indian, you know, lots of curries, lots of lamb, goat, chicken, uh, not necessarily jerk spices, but, you know, s- spices from that area of the Caribbean. Very, very good. One, you know, and, one of the underrated places to eat in the Caribbean. And, and with that, too, like, you know, Donald mentioning it being like West Indian and that kind of spills over into their sport outside of outside of soccer, which we're going to dive into the soccer sp- part here in a second. But um, cricket's very big there. And so, you know, they're a part of the West Indian Cricket Association, um, very tied in with that. So uh that's that's really where the, where the big part comes in. Um, the other thing to keep in mind um, outside of, you know, the beaches and things is I it's a big jewelry place. Like it is known throughout the Caribbean as being huge, a place to get diamonds and a place to get watches. Um, so if you do find yourself there and you're looking for a nice Rolex, um, maybe to bribe a FIFA official with uh, that is that is that is the spot. Very funny when I, the first time we went to, I'm sorry, the second time we went to St. Martin, uh, my dad wanted to get a tag watch back. And this is back in like the late nineties, like tags were the thing. Right. So he goes to a watch shop and there's five of us and he's like, Hey, I want to buy a tag. And they're trying to, you know, haggle on price. And he's like, look, I heard y'all were supposed to be the watch capital of the Caribbean. What's up? Like y'all ain't giving me nothing. I can't get back home. And so the guy's like, all right, well, here's the best price we can do. And he goes, I mean, that price is fine. But it's not, I mean, that's not what we came here for. Now, if you, and he turns and points at the rest of the family, goes, if you get all them watches too, then maybe we're talking about something here. And you know what? We all walked out of there with a watch. I didn't get a tag. It's not old enough to, it did not graduate to tag country, but I had a very nice watch courtesy of my dad negotiating fair prices. But yes, lots of diamonds, lots of jewelry, like just gold jewelry, silver jewelry especially watches they are big for for that as well so you can definitely get some good jewelry down there but they also have soccer which is kind of important to us so just briefly before we get into the soccer scene there 
So just some background on the country. It was part of the Netherlands Antilles up until it dissolved in 2010. So up until 2010, like it wasn't its own country. So currently and still, St. Martin is not in FIFA. So CONCACAF had let them in as a associate member uh, back in 2002. They've had a national team since prior to that. But in 2002, they were accepted in CONCACAF as associate members because they weren't a real country yet. After the Netherlands Antilles dissolved and became its own sovereign state back in 2010, uh, CONCACAF accepted them as a full member in 2013. Now, St. Martin had actually looked at applying to FIFA to become a full member prior to 2016. Unfortunately, Hurricane Irma in 2017 kind of threw that a wrench into that. They never got through the process of it. Um, they lack some of the some of the requirements that FIFA has for accepting a country. So we're looking at St. Martin possibly becoming a full FIFA member, getting into qualifying uh, in the future. But even though it's not a full FIFA member, they still got soccer. So St. Martin's actually got a pretty good soccer culture as well. Um, they do have one men's league. They've got the St. Martin Senior Men's League uh, currently consists of seven teams, uh, names not to be revealed for later in the show. Um, but the Senior League, these seven teams, the interesting thing about it is they actually share a facility. Uh, the Raul Illich Sports Complex, the National Stadium, that's like the home site for the entire league. All the games are there. The turf, it's a turf field, artificial turf. I've seen some pictures. If you go to St. Martin's uh, Federation Facebook page, they actually do a great job posting highlights from all of these matches. Um, the coverage is great. The turf field, it reminds me of Aloha Stadium, <laughs> which is not it's, a good thing. That's not a good thing. <laughs> that is not a good thing. A good thing. Uh, it seats 3,000. It definitely needs some work. I'd I wonder if that's one of the things holding them back from FIFA membership. I don't know. That's just speculation. Um, but that Real quick, opened... is Go the ahead. turf. You said it reminds you of Aloha Stadium. Is it better or worse than the um, Zombie Rio OKC field? I think I honestly think it might be worse. Like there are clear like divot lines in the field. Like it it looks bad. So, but. No disrespect to St. Martin. I know they're trying, but y'all got to work on that a little bit. Um, so the stadium opened in 1987. They renovated it in 2013. That was, I don't know if that's so much playing surface or the facilities. Um, one of the problems with soccer in this country is just being such a small country. It's just lack of playing fields. Like you've got this sports complex with the field. And they actually just opened another field last year in Belvedere um, for more activities. But there just aren't a lot of places to play um, for the leagues and the youth. They've got uh, some youth leagues like a 16 and under, a 14 and under, and a 12 and under. Um, so they've got a nice domestic thing. The senior league actually has a league cup as well. Um, so it's like they got their own FA Cup, just like everybody else. 
Uh, so they're working at it. The St. Martin men's national team, as we mentioned, members of CONCACAF, not members of FIFA. Uh, they actually existed before St. Martin was St. Martin, like um, before the dissolution of the Netherlands, they were still operating as their own national team. Uh, they competed in the 90s and early 2000s before they took this long hiatus for, about, for over a decade uh, in the early 2000s. And over the last five, six years, they've been trying to build the program back up. Um, obviously, one of the key components of that is the amazing CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, they sit there in League C, um, maintaining in League C after not earning advancement there. The national team has never advanced to a gold cup, not yet. Um, they've not qualified for that. They do have uh, some early Caribbean Cup success. 1993, they were able to qualify for that, um, but did not make it quite so far. Um, a lot of domestic players. The one note that I did find is they have a defender, Jai Asad, who is currently playing at Feather River College, uh, Community College in Quincy, California. So they are branching out into... Uh, international markets with their player pool. That's the men's side. Uh, Donald, tell us about the women's national team. Yeah, well, this is going to be kind of a weird uh, history of the women's national team because there isn't much information about the team. You know, we've seen some nations in previous laser focuses that have had women's national teams that have struggled to have matches and and have don't have a lot of history. Well, St. Martin's women's national team, they might be the most unique that we've seen so far because they currently play in the 14 other youth league for men in the St. Martin pyramid. So in an effort against matches, kids, they're playing, they are playing against, against boys. Uh, it really, that, that's the reason why they exist is to try and get matches. They're currently fifth out of six, by the way, in the league this season with one win and four matches so far this season. They did have a friendly against women back on Halloween night against a women's club from the French side of St. Martin. And the experience they're getting in this league has helped there. They beat that club team nine to nothing. So they at least are are using this to kind of develop their team. But really what this points back to is that St. Martin is trying to get more women involved in the game. And I think that's a great thing. Um, It's going to be a slow build for them, but they are slowly trying to recruit women and girls to try and create a women's league, trying to create a women's national team that they can be proud of. And honestly, I think this is where a lot of the leagues that we have talked about within CONCACAF are starting to hopefully give them enough money to, uh, as Eric said, to pump up some of these resources and put pump them back into the game. I don't think they'll be entering the CONCACAF W Championship this summer because, as we know, that serves as World Cup qualifying and they can't qualify for the World Cup. It also serves as Olympic qualifying and Everyone in St. Martin is eligible to compete as part of the Netherlands. So I don't think they're going to be ready to do it there. But one thing that they have been eyeing, they keep pointing in some of their posts on on the Facebook page that Eric mentioned to 2023, because that is when Gold Cup qualifying begins. There is a CONCACAF W Gold Cup that debuts in 2024. And the qualifying format for that is very similar to the Nations League on the men's side. So 
they right now they don't have any points in CONCACAF rankings because they haven't played matches against other teams. But it's clear they want to get to that level soon. And so they're pointing at trying to be able to compete in 2023 in that Gold Cup qualifying. So let's hope we see them continue to develop a national team. And I, I know we can't wait to see what they can do on that stage when that qualifying phase begins next year. I mean, if we could get U.S. versus St. Martin, um, I'd love to, you know, have a pod trip to Mahu Beach. I, I would, I would cover that game. I think I could, I could make it. I could make time for that. Yeah, it's it's about time that the U.S. women's national team went on the road and faced a challenge in Concacaf. That challenge is letting us go to St. Martin. We need island qualifiers on the women's side, too. Don't think that it's just a men's unique thing. The women deserve to have island qualifiers, and we demand that CONCACAF lets it happen. This podcast stands for equality, and we want equality in away trips. We want equality for for island qualifiers. (laughs) Yes. All of them. All right. So, St. Martin, a lot of potential there. Uh, we look forward to that program establishing themselves and um, growing the sport on the island, at least on that half of the island, and eventually joining FIFA. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. That wraps up our laser focus. And we're going to be joined next by Grant Wall. And we're going to get a bucket with Grant Wall. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's get a bucket. Uh, Donald, who do we got with us today? Well, we are really excited to kick off the new year with a very, very special guest. Uh, he is the host of the Football with Grant Wall podcast. He also has a Substack that is covering the U.S. men's national team as they go through local qualifying and several other stories about just CONCACAF, the world of soccer, uh, go, I mean, just recently, if you if you have not subscribed to it, A, you should do that. B, you should definitely check out the article he just had a couple of days ago with Katerina Macario about her time at Lyon, her time just since she's joined the women's national team. Uh, but of course, his name is in the podcast name. So without further ado, Grant Wall, thank you very much for joining the World of CONCACAF podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, you know, you do great work. Donald's been on my podcast before and uh, just appreciate everything you're doing following U S soccer. Yeah. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, obviously we are huge fans of CONCACAF. Um, so just to get started, what's so great about CONCACAF? What is it? What makes CONCACAF great to you? You know, it's funny because like, I think sometimes people misunderstand my opinion and others' opinions about CONCACAF, like what makes CONCACAF CONCACAF is kind of endearing, actually, even if it makes you angry at times. And like today, for example, we had a Guatemalan referee at the Africa Cup of Nations calls a penalty late, probably deserved, but still 94th minute penalty that allows Senegal to beat Zimbabwe. And Zimbabwe, of all teams, has every right to feel CONCACAF as a result of that. And when I say the term CONCACAF, 
yeah, there's a lot behind that that goes back many, many years. And yet it's endearing. This is our region and things that happen in CONCACAF don't always happen in other places. And it's chaotic in a great way most of the time. Like, you know, like only in CONCACAF moments, like that, that dude owner of the club who like put himself on the field in you know in CONCACAF play to for whatever reason yeah and then ends up like handing out cash to opponents in their locker room after the game and having it be filmed and CONCACAF puts out a press release that day like we're now investigating this he already has a memorial special on this podcast (laughs) he's he's famous CONCACAF it's great he's a a legend it's it is what it is but like it's our region yeah now, famously, 10 years ago, you ran for FIFA president. Um, in the time since then, we've had various other scandals that were even came after scandals prior to that. Um, and just recently saw the passing of Andrew Jennings, who did a lot of work trying to uncover some of that. What's the state of CONCACAF now? Uh, how has it grown or improved since those scandals? It's a great question. And, and if we're being perfectly honest here, like, like fool me five times, joke's on me, right? You know, like, so I will never say with absolute certainty that like today's CONCACAF is perfectly clean. I, I just... Based on the history, I can never do that again because I was around CONCACAF when they had three straight presidents be prosecuted, (laughs) you know? And so, like, it's ridiculous. And I think it's in a better position now, you know, and seems to be a more professional organization. Doesn't appear right now to be horrible corruption. But I'll never say that with certainty because there's just been too much evidence over the years that that wasn't the case. So I'm sorry to the people who currently run CONCACAF. Like, I hope you understand how I'm approaching this. Um, But, you know, like I, I, I still want to see the region do productive, positive things for soccer. And so there appears to be some good stuff happening with CONCACAF in the women's game uh, to make the sport bigger for women's soccer, especially in countries that, you know, it's, it's far from being professional at this point. Um, You know, getting those countries more games, all of that. Though I would also add to that, that Karina LeBlanc, the person in charge of that left recently to become the Portland Thorns GM. And so, certainly makes you wonder like what comes next um, in that area. And, you know, you look at uh, Victor Mentaliani, the CONCACAF president, Philippe Mogio, uh, the general secretary, like, you know, they're getting things done. There's a, a men's world cup coming to CONCACAF, a shared world cup in 2026. That's all good. Uh, I actually think the octagonal has been pretty good 
you know i mean like it's not a huge difference from the hexagonal um i do think that having the three games in the windows like if we're going to get into granular stuff i feel like Concacaf should have started the octagonal earlier and could have and didn't and i realized covid's been a huge issue with scheduling games, but I really think the three games in a window are bad um, and exponentially different from having two games in a window. And I don't think the Nations League finals actually needed to happen in June. Uh, and I think let, they, let, they... Let, let's be, uh, let's be clear. Nations, the Nations League gets a lot of respect in this uh in this podcast so we don't, we don't need any nations league erasure here wow um fair enough um i just feel like too much has been placed on players i actually feel really bad for the the non-usa mexico teams that don't have charter planes on these three game windows because i think that makes a huge difference and we've seen in the third games of the windows in in the octagonal that a lot of these teams that are traveling commercial are exhausted and they have nothing left to give no no more so than the usa game at honduras where honduras actually led in that game at one point turning point of the u.s qualifying campaign and the honduran guys could not run in the second half and i know y'all were at the game at least some of you and saw what happened for sure. Well, it's funny. Uh, you know, we are just you were just talking about the three games in one window. Just personally, I mean, I know how I feel after these <laughs> games. I know how some of these players probably feel. How do you feel? Because you've been traveling to some all these games. Like, how do you feel after three games in a week? Like, are you tired? Or do you do you like kind of have a newfound respect for what the players are going through, considering that we're just traveling to these games and not necessarily having to play 90 minutes? If I'm as dead as I am after these three game windows, I can only imagine how dead the players are. Right. And, you know, I, I will say that like my approach to covering these world cup qualifiers has been sort of old school sports illustrated print magazine, like circa late nineties, early two thousands, where I'm pulling an all nighter every game night and producing a story like a magazine quality story that I promise readers will come out at 9 a.m. Eastern the next morning with information that at least some of it you won't see in other outlets. Um, and I enjoy getting back to my old school roots, but I'm, I'm destroyed at the end of these all nighters. I'm not a young man anymore guys. And, and so um, it's, it's been exhilarating, but also a, a, just a big challenge. And, and once these three game windows are done, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted. So yeah, I can only imagine how the players feel. Um, and it's a lot, it's a lot for them to go through. So kind of going back to, you know, you were working for sports illustrated for a long time. Um, and after parting ways with them, you decided to start your own site and podcast football with Grant wall. Um, because of that, you've been on site for all of the United States qualifiers so far. I feel like you may be able to be one of the only uh, or one of the few that has been. So what's it been like following this team around and, and capturing those stories of what World Cup qualifying is like? 
I totally enjoyed it. You know, I mean, the second I started my Substack site in August, um, I had made sure to negotiate a travel budget that would allow me to do the quality stories I've always done, which is a little unusual on Substack in the sense that most of the people on Substack are writing takes and opinions and you know, some analysis. And there's some good stuff on Substack, but like, I do some of that on my site, but like, I also wanted to do what I do best, which is over the years I've traveled to do reporting and do magazine style reported stories on features, but also I wanted to be at every single US Men's World Cup qualifier on site doing the, the kind of reporting that is hard to do, but is also a lot of fun. And that involves the game and the team, but also where you are and, and what it's like to be on the ground in Jamaica or El Salvador or Honduras. And like the stories I used to do in the late nineties, early two thousands for Sports Illustrated, we would still do stories off the big game that happened on Saturday or Sunday, but they wouldn't come out until Thursday. You couldn't read them until they came into your mailbox with the magazine. And the reason that SI stopped doing those stories was because of the delay, not because of the quality of the stories, which was always really high. So I'm doing the same type of quality stories as I did back then, but I'm saying you can read that at 9 a.m. Eastern the next morning, while also still doing like my three thoughts off the game at the final whistle. And that's a free post that you can engage with if I have Wi-Fi access. <laughs> Uh, in the stadium uh and there's been some moments where i'm just like losing my mind as i don't have the ability to like post my story in the stadium in some of these situations but um that's something that like leading up to every game in the qualifying process i'm getting like a one-on-one -on -one interview with somebody you know like in jamaica it was tim Weah, um and i'm able to like have stuff from that that you won't see elsewhere. And, um, and the response has been good so far. Like it's, it's an interesting situation not to be at a, at a giant place like Sports Illustrated anymore because um, you, know, you had 3 million subscribers, right? Um, but times have changed. Sports Illustrated has changed. They have new ownership. They're doing much more stuff for like clicks and, and quantity instead of quality. And so launching this subscription site has been really interesting. And content-wise, I'm thrilled. Like, I've done 14 magazine-style stories in four months, including all eight qualifiers and six, like, feature stories. Um, I, I'm a lot more nimble than I used to be, and I can go and do a 12-day trip to Europe and report three stories on FC Sheriff and Macario and the show El Chiringuito in Madrid. And, you know, that's been a lot of fun. Um, and now I just, I need to make it sustainable. And so you need paid subscribers. It's six bucks a month, $50 a year. Uh, it's at grantwall.com. And, um, you know, so far, you know, I think we've got like 6,000 free subscribers. We've got about 850 paid. I'd like to get to about 2,500 paid by um, the end of August, when I would be a year in. It's a World Cup year, and, and I hope people like the stuff enough that they think it's worth paying for. I pay for it. It's definitely worth it.
Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So Appreciate what's been the that. most so what's been the most memorable moment of the cycle so far? Great question. Um, for me, I mean, there's a couple possibilities you could name. Like you could say USA two, Mexico nil, dos acero, because that's the marquee game. It's three wins over Mexico in a calendar year. It's the game that meant the most, the qualifier. And, and the U.S. got it done, and they performed better than Mexico, which I don't know if you could say they did in the other two games overall, um, which were big, right, for trophies, yeah. Gold Cup final, Nations League final. We love the Nations League. Um, <laughs> we do. But, you know, I, I, I think that's sort of the marquee moment. But the connoisseur's big moment is Honduras. Because at halftime, the U.S. is down 1-0. Um, Greg Berhalter's job is in jeopardy, or should be. And we're talking about who's the next U.S. coach. And the performance was miserable in the first 45 minutes. Just awful. And the second half happens. And I still think it's sort of an underrated moment when Tyler Adams gets moved from right back to central because most of the goals came after that. You know, when Christian Pulisic goes out injured in that game in the second half, there's a little bit of despair, as I recall. Like, yeah. this, is, this is not looking good. And in the end, it's one of those wild moments where the U.S. gets four goals in the second half, wins going away. Honduras basically takes a knee <laughs> for like the entire second half, like they rolled over. And I'm trying to get to the post-game situation and avoid the throwing the, the thrown projectiles from the Honduran fans at their own team. Oh yeah. And so you never can predict when moments like that might happen. And I certainly wouldn't have predicted at halftime that it would have, it would have turned out that way, but it did. And I, I think Greg Berhalter deserves some credit for the changes he made in that game to recognize that things weren't going right, that it was idiotic to start Tyler Adams at right back. And Sebastian Legette had a big game in the second half. Ricardo Pepe had a big game. Um, so for me, that's the connoisseur's turning point of qualifying. I think that's a good one. Uh, Eric and I were there. I think the, the, the moment that kind of stands out with me among others is after the game, you mentioned the projectiles being thrown and as Christian was kind of hobbling off of the field, like people like mid throw stopped and they all applauded him and were like, good game. Like, you know, and he clapped to the fans, let him go all the way in. And then they resume throwing stuff at their own team. Like that, like that, that's respect right there. That, that, that's respect. But yeah, uh, See, seeing all the fans go over to the tunnel as the Honduras players are walking off the field and just yelling at them. And I mean, I don't speak Spanish that quite as good as I should. I do. But, I can only imagine what was getting said there. So I enjoyed watching that with my bag of water. I mean, one of the great things of CONCACAF, right, is when fans turn on their own team. Oh, yeah. And we see that with Mexico. 
when mm-hmm. you know their fans get upset it's tied in the second half and the home fans from mexico start olaying u.s passes or whomever's playing mexico in those situations and so we don't ever see have we ever seen that with the u.s have we ever seen the u.s fans turn against the u.s in a game not to that extent i mean i i've i mean we've seen it in other sports but like yeah. Very rarely have we seen it in the soccer where you're just kind of like that to that extent where we're, you know, people are throwing stuff their own team and just laying into them in the game. But uh, that actually leads me to uh, my next question, which just kind of expanding. Like, where's the most interesting place that you've been or the coolest place or the best place that you've been to in CONCACAF? And I know through several World Cup qualifiers, you've been covering the sport for, you know, a long, long time since you know, you're not that old, but you've been covering it what it seems like your whole life. Um, yeah. But you've been to some cool places. You've been to some interesting places. Give us, give us one or two. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I remember going to St. Vincent and the Grenadines and, and I, I was upset with how long it was taking to go through customs. <laughs> and I, I definitely want to, I definitely want to thank Stavi Lair and thank you. Because after because you got there before us, it was much easier for us to get through customs <laughs> after you went through. So, so I did the thing where they probably could have arrested me because I took video inside customs of like people like going bag by bag. There's like one person working there. And I just we were there for like three hours. My wife had come with me. We, you know, it was like, you know, I was working, she was on vacation, but you know, it was, it was ridiculous. And I tweet, I tweeted something and it became like this national thing in St. Vincent of like, actually I bought a, a, a newspaper where it was a literal front page story of like American journalist criticizes customs at St. Vincent airport. And the only problem with this is I was the ugly American and I never want to be that ever um it was amusing though um it took us like 20 minutes after you after that story came out we got through in like 20 minutes i yeah we were we were great so we thank you for that like we (laughs) i am we got off the plane and they're like oh americans go right like i mean i don't think any (laughs) i had a drink in my hand before i entered customs and i had my bag in like five minutes never like just perfect so you did work it, it was, it, I'm glad that worked out for you. Uh, Ezra Hendrickson, the coach of the Chicago Fire, who's from St. Vincent, the Grenadines, sent me a message. He was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. Though. Very nice man, Ezra Hendrickson. And just so everyone knows, I love St. Vincent, the Grenadines. Um, and th- despite all of that. Um, but um, that's one of my favorites. I went to Barbados in... Um, I think it was 2000 when you know, everyone remembers the U.S. getting to the quarterfinals of the 2002 World Cup. What they not many people remember is that the U.S. was about 30 minutes from being eliminated in the semifinal round of World Cup qualifying for that World Cup in 02 in Barbados, of all places. And it was really scary kind of i mean just like the us was playing poorly and then they ended up getting a couple of goals late i think maybe clint mathis had a goal i don't remember all the details of the game um but 
it was uh, a dicey moment uh, in qualifying. So I remember going down to, to Barbados for that. That, you know, that was, I remember hanging out with Jeff Bradley, uh, who was a writer for ESPN Magazine at the time, Bob Bradley's brother, um, terrific writer and journalist. He's now the, the press guy for Toronto FC. And, um, and we had an all-timer, Carib Beer, highly recommended uh, in, in Barbados and a few other Caribbean countries. And I think we consumed a few, Jeff and I, uh, the night before that game. That I've had to happen. Yes, my fair share of Carib. And, and in Barbados, Eric and I have had a plate which can be, only be described as bacon with a side of shrimp. Because um, <laughs> was on the menu. Terrific. I believe we were Love having that. caribs in the morning with that too. Yeah. I will say there's one additional moment of my Valhalla of CONCACAF experiences over the years. I went to the, uh, whatever, what's the Caribbean Union's name? I, I, I don't even know. Caribbean uh, Football CFU. Union. Yeah, the CFU. CFU. Yeah. So I went to their gathering in early 2016 during the FIFA presidential campaign. And they let me in when all of the Caribbean Federation presidents were grilling Johnny Infantino and the other candidates for FIFA president. And it was pure uncut CONCACAF. It was like, this was the event that four years earlier, there had been the cash giveaways uh, by Mohammed bin Hammam that had been publicized and caused a bit of a ruckus. And Chuck Blazer at that point was known as a whistleblower before he was known as a complete crook. <laughs> uh, but if you do like Google searches for whistleblower Chuck Blazer, it's pretty funny actually, because there was a time when he was viewed as such. And so I went to that, that, you know, that event and it was just incredible. I wrote a story on it uh, for Sports Illustrated just about um, some of the frankly insane stuff that I observed at the CFU event with the, the FIFA presidential candidates. Yeah, we need to be invited. I, I, to I that can't even imagine time. what you the things you saw that you didn't write about. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got to say here. We we. We're, we know. So I'm, not, I'm, not with, I'm not withholding anything. I interviewed, I, <laughs> I, I was there for Fox. I was still at Fox and we did video interviews with like me and Johnny Infantino and Prince Ali from Jordan, who I really like, by the way, but poor Prince Ali, this is in Antigua and Barbuda, by the way, uh, this event. And poor Prince Ali was sweating so hard during the entire oh, yeah. interview that... I, I, I like almost wanted to help him. And I don't know why he was sweating so much. Like, I, I hope he wasn't like worried about me, but it was just like, it was so bizarre. And Johnny Infantino was being supported by somebody that allowed him to fly from on a private plane to Antigua from some African country like Rwanda that he had just been at. And, um, it may have been the Qataris who were flying him around. I, I don't even remember, but um, it was uh, it was a pretty pure Concacaf moment. That that's exactly what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely, I, I and 
going back, I appreciate the shout out to St. Vincent. That's like the favorite of the podcast um, for sure. So appreciate you joining us. We've heard some great stories, but we want to invite you to partake in our podcast game. It's now time for real team or fake team. Um, Donald, do you want to kind of give them the rundown as to what's about to happen here? Yeah, Grant, you are in for a special treat because as we do on every show that has a laser focus, we do real team or fake team. Now, if it's the first time joining Grant for you, this is how it works. Uh, Eric and Jonathan have about, they have six teams that they're going to give you, six names. And you have to tell us whether you think it is a real team or a fake team. It's a very simple game, but one that can yield some very, very positive results. So I'm going to start with Eric. Eric, Grant, you're in the hot seat now. You're the second guest that we've had in the hot seat. I believe John, uh, John Arnold got four out of six. Yeah. So oh, wow. he's, he's going to do so much better than I'll do. <laughs> hey, you, you, trust your gut. you just got to trust your gut. All right. Um, Jonathan, you want to go first here? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the first one. So Flames United. Um, oh, that's a real team. Yes, that is a real team. Uh, they're actually defending champions of yes! the uh, Sid Martin uh, Men's Senior League. So awesome. it's a good start. Uh, Phillipsburg FC. could be a trick question um i don't know my cities in st martin um i'm gonna say it's a fake team phillipsburg is the capital of Ah! but it is a fake team we made that yes yes (laughs) if i had known the actual geography in the capital i probably would have gotten it wrong just gotta trust your gut here that's so how it goes in real team fake team. Yeah, you got to trust the guy. <laughs> so uh, two for two. Uh, your next team is C and D Connection. I mean, Connection suggests the Trinidadian team, which might be Caribbean-esque in, in, in other areas. So um, that's a real team. That is a real team. Three for three. They're, they're based in Phillipsburg, take, by the way. Take that, John Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> killing it. We got a rivalry going here. <laughs> All right, next team. Seven, five, eight, boys. <laughs> is it like an area, like a phone area code? <laughs> I don't know is the that... significance of the seven, five, eight. I just know that... The team name is 758 Boys. Well, one of my, my journalist friends, Lasana LeBird in Trinidad, his like website is like the area code of Trinidad, like something, something. So um, um uh, nah, it's, that's fake. 758 Boys is a real team. Ah! I do, do want to <laughs> specify that the 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 in boys it is ends with a Z. They are third place on the table right now, halfway through the season. Awesome. All right, so you're three for four. Got two more left. Jonathan, you're up next. 
So he can't beat me now. So I'm the reigning <laughs> champion at, 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 at five for six. So uh, you can match me. Um, so we're going to go with Hot Spurs. Just that's the name? Just, just that's the name. That's the name. All one word. Uh, that's a real team. That is correct. It is a real team. Yeah. Real team. Four for and five. I do want to specify that Hot Spurs is spelled with two T's. It is H O T T Spurs. <laughs> that's that's incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, final team, Reggae Lions. Fake team. Reggae Lions is a real team. Ah, and there it is. Thank you for bad news. Um, they were actually kicked out of the uh, St. Martin Senior League this season uh, because they forfeited their first game. No so way! They got they got the boot. Reggae Lions that, got the boot. That, that seems overly harsh. Yeah, one game is rough. They're, they're not Listen, playing around. They run a tight ship down St. Martin. Apparently. <laughs> wow. So I got four out of six, man. I feel really good about that. I thought I was going to crash and burn. That's right on average with what we're doing. I mean, yeah. uh, Jonathan has the record of five out of six. Again, John Arnold had four out of six. So you're right on par with them. Our guests are doing right here. We're, we're right. We're all we're all equal here. So. Great job. We we embrace the term relentlessly average here. <laughs> hey, that may, have to, be, that may have to be the, that may have to be the new uh, the new motto for this pad, podcast: relentlessly average. Listen, <laughs> average would be a step up for this operation. <laughs> well, thanks thanks for humoring us. We really appreciate you stopping by. I'm sure we're going to see you down the road here in uh, the rest of qualifying. Uh, do you want to? Let everyone know where people can find you. I mean, the best place is grantwall.com. That gets you to my Substack site. Uh, sign up for free if you don't want to do a paid subscription and give it a shot. Uh, if you want to sign up for a paid subscription, uh, you will help me eat uh, and, and continue to do cool stuff. You know, like I, I want to be doing stuff that's really ambitious that you won't see elsewhere. Um, I think I did that with my Moldova story on FC Sheriff and even going to see Katarina Macario and, and doing all these U.S. qualifiers coverage. So uh, appreciate everyone's support on that. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back. Okay, uh, guys, I had fun talking to Grant Wall. I had a blast. I mean, it, he's 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 been around the the Concacaf uh, arena for for quite some time, and it's good to, uh, to you know hear some things from him, including what I can only imagine was just the wildest event in 2016. Yeah, can we talk like real quick? Uh, Caribbean Football Union. We have said on this podcast many times, and I know a lot of you listen out there. Thank you very much for listening. We, we have said many times that the CFU is our favorite sub-region of CONCACAF. And today I'm Absolute here to tell favorite. you that we were not playing. We, we were not lying when we said that. So whenever you guys have meetings, call us, add us on Instagram, whatever, whatever you want to do, DM us, slide to our DMs, because we would love to be a part of these meetings, because we would love to get the inside scoop as to what goes on at CFU meetings, because we are honestly very interested. 
being that that is our favorite subregion. So, CFU, how it is? We're not this here. Can, to this, this this can be world of CFU real quick. Yeah, real quick. Listen, we're not we're not here to come at you. We don't want to bring bad things. We we just want to embrace what you are. You know, vibes only. That's all we vibes, want. Vibes, vibes only. only. All right. So great, great uh, interview there. Um, before we wrap up, one major, 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 huge announcement. It's taken long enough, but we got it together. We've got a Patreon now. It is about time. Y'all, I know we appreciate you listening. We appreciate all the support, but it's time you start throwing some dollars our way, you know? Uh, we've got Do a Patreon. want to see Eric in his bathing suit on the beach? Whoa, that, that price level, a little high. In just his hoodie, in just his Nations League hoodie. I mean, listen, there's a saying that I like. It's everyone has a price. I'm just saying. <laughs> and his is a saying. dollar. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash podcast. It's a place. Uh, we've got three different tiers set up. Uh, we'll share the link on our Twitter, on our Facebook. Uh, we would really appreciate you guys supporting us uh, in our endeavors here. Um, I've We've been paying out of this out of pocket. Like This is all out of love. We would love to do this more. We would love to bring you better things. And if you throw us a few bucks, we might be able to swing that. Uh, so we've got some general support tiers. Uh, we're going to start doing bonus episodes called uh, One More Round, where we'll get one more round of drinks. And uh, those will be Patreon-exclusive bonus content. Um, we're hoping what I'll do is, on all these beautiful trips we're taking, we'll post some more exclusive content on there that you'll only be able to get if you're a patron. Um, and the best part, we're going to send you a postcard. Now, you send us your postcards to the pod, your listener questions that we take. We're going to send postcards from the pod. And if you subscribe to our patron or executive levels, uh, we'll send you a postcard with pure CONCACAF vibes. Um, Maybe even from the frozen wasteland of our neighbor from the north. You don't know what you're going to get with these postcards. I just want to say, like, it'll be a nice surprise for you. And really, so, honestly, this is just the start, right? We're, we're going to be yeah. adding some cool things. We, we have some things that we're talking about. We're, we're, we're three guys who have very ambitious goals, and we have sometimes very ambitious ideas. Sometimes <laughs> those ambitious ideas turn into drink somewhere and, and nothing happens, and sometimes they turn into reality. This is where the Patreon comes in because you will be the first to learn about some of these zany ideas, and maybe you could tell us if this works. Listen. Money talks, and you start giving us our, your money, we'll listen. We will listen. But, again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. We'll throw the link out there. We would really appreciate your support. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, first show of 2022, guys. We got a lot. This is a World Cup year. We got a long year ahead. And a teaser for, next, for the next time. I mean, just in a couple of weeks, we have World Cup qualifying. Don't fear. We will have a full World Cup preview, World Cup qualifying preview coming up just before those games kick off because you know we love World Cup qualifying. And uh, as three guys who are going to be represented at all three matches, 
we're going to have the inside scoop on at least for the U.S. side, but also everything is going on throughout this octagonal round of qualifying. Yeah, I just want to say that typically we don't announce in advance what nations we're going to cover with our laser focuses. February 2022, the Canada episode is going to drop. Whether we get to this game or not, this episode is going to drop. Whether so, we're watching this game in Buffalo, New York. Um, oh, we're going to have stories. Because, I mean, I think that's, uh, it, at least I know for, for Eric and I, a um, little inside baseball, if we are unable to get into Canada, we will be watching the game in the closest we can get to Canada, which is Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Hey, I'm from Michigan, so I am uh, half Canadian by association. So if that doesn't get me in, I don't know. I'll just try to be pressed or something. I might. You could I, always just make game. sure you're. You could just make sure you're in Buffalo uh, if need be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I've I've buffaloed. In- I've been buffaloed. I have buffaloed. I, I am happy to do both. <laughs> so stay tuned for the intrigue that's coming your way in February. There will be a lot of bonus content for the Patreon from that trip. So uh, Donald, Jonathan, you guys want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at jslafessp, um, and then Speedway Soccer and Broadway Sports Media. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking for your uh, MLS content, uh, check it out there. And for me, at BlazingDW on Twitter, and also, uh, as all of you out there know, I am the manager of Stars and Stripes FC, and you can follow that at StarsAndStripesFC.com or on Twitter at StarsStripesFC. Thank you, guys. Again, you can follow the World of CONCACAF podcast on Twitter at PodcaCaf, on Facebook at facebook.com slash PodcaCaf, or Instagram at PodcaCaf. P-O-D-C-A-C-A-F. Real simple. To everyone who's just tuning in for the first time, thanks to our star guest. We really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, our back catalog has a lot of fun from last year. You can review all of the fun stuff from the Gold Cup, from World Cup qualifying, even the early rounds of World Cup qualifying, and most importantly, the CONCACAF Nations League Finals. Um, We're just here for the CONCACAF. We hope you are too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.